Hey there, family members. You have McGann once again. And today's podcast is a little extra special because it's a podcast that was made out of a vlog that was made out of a blog post about the plot holes of Aladdin. Now, I'm pretty confident that this Aladdin video is going to translate very well to a podcast, but you're probably going to hear a few weird referrals to, oh, look at this. Just ignore it. I think I'm descriptive enough that it still works, but if you do want to watch the video, you can find me at youtube.com slash the fangirl watches or come hang out with me on instagram at say halo goodbye this is mcgann the disney fangirl and this is the second video that i am going to post on this channel it's going to be about the huge plot holes in the movie aladdin and this basically came around because my daughter was asking me to watch aladdin around the same time everybody was talking about the little mermaid and how in the little mermaid they were saying well why didn't ariel just write her issues out and let Eric read it. Well, that led me to kind of think about Aladdin in a different way when we were watching it. So my first plot hole was, why does the movie Aladdin start with the genie's lamp in the hands of a vendor? And it's been gone through several different times. I think recently one of the directors or producers came out and said, well, the vendor is actually the genie, but it really doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, yes, the person who voices the vendor is clearly Robin Williams. He's not actually credited in the movie. But it's it's clearly him, although that's not him singing Arabian Nights at the beginning of the film. And I know that they've also pointed out that the vendor and genie have the same amount of fingers while everyone else has five fingers in the movie. But it just, it seems to imply that if he's trying to talk about the lamp or he's trying to possibly sell the lamp, then it, it makes it seem like the lamp isn't worth anything. When we see in different incarnations of Aladdin, like the TV show, The Return of Jafar, Aladdin and the King of Thieves, Genie still lives in that lamp. He, he's still genie colored. He can still have that little ghosty bottom half that he does that goes in and out of the lamp. So to make the lamp seem like it's worthless and for sale doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And really, it's always made me think that the lamp was stolen from Genie somewhere along the way, or maybe he possibly aged and died. And so the lamp was more folklore than it was a useful house for him at that point. But all I can really say for sure is that the vendor part of Aladdin seemed like it was a framing device, but then the vendor doesn't reappear at the end of the movie, which makes it a really bad framing device that just confuses a lot of people. Okay, the Cave of Wonders declares very clearly that only one may enter, but then Abu walks right in with Aladdin. So, sure, maybe you could say, well, Abu is a monkey, so he doesn't count, and the cave was only talking about only one human may enter, but if that was true, then why is it that Abu was able to touch the ruby that violated the touch nothing but the lamp claws and melt the whole cave down? It seems to me like they're playing it both ways and not really thinking it through. It would have made it a really boring movie if Aladdin had just walked in and back out with the lamp and Jafar got it. But it seems like, why is the monkey allowed to go in? And then the monkey can also mess up the rules of the cave if the rules of the cave don't apply to him at the same time. And then speaking of the touch nothing but the lamp stipulation, we all saw them touching carpet long before the cave has a meltdown, right? I mean, it's almost as soon as they enter the cave, Abu walks on top of the carpet, and then the carpet kind of comes to life, and it messes with Abu. It takes his hat, it pokes him, it does all this different stuff, and they're buddy-buddy. The carpet even wraps itself around Aladdin and kind of just like, oh, hi, company, finally. But if the carpet doesn't count as a treasure that should not be touched, I think the cave is really underestimating the value of this flying rug because 
it's not only another like living kind of sentient being, but it's one of the most important nonverbal characters that Disney has ever created. So this cave of wonders really needs to make up its mind because only one may enter means Aladdin plus one and touch nothing but the lamp means that, well, the carpet's okay. Even though it's a treasure, even though it's valuable, even though it's flying and sentient, it's okay to touch that, just nothing else that, that would belong to the cave otherwise. Now, the very next part of the movie, I didn't understand at all. I've never understood it. This movie came out when I was like eight. And it was when Jafar tries to kill Aladdin after Aladdin gives him the lamp. And it's like, sure, you know, Jafar's evil and all that, but why would he need to kill Aladdin? Like, who is Aladdin going to tell? What is Aladdin going to ever do that is going to stop Jafar while he has the lamp in hand? I mean, he could have just as easily pulled him out of the cave and then just made a wish and run off and left Aladdin there, and the whole kingdom would have been taken over before Aladdin could ever even get back to town. It also seems like Aladdin did a lot of work for Jafar, even though he didn't know, obviously, the situation. But it seems like Jafar should be rewarding the guy, not trying to off him for no apparent reason other than just to be super evil. So then obviously we know what happens next in the story and Aladdin becomes Prince Ali and comes marching into the palace with this grand parade of different animals and things. And what I'm curious about is why didn't the Sultan have any questions for him? Like what was he the prince of? I mean, now I don't fault Aladdin for not really having an answer for this because why would he have something like that automatically prepared in his head? He's probably never left Agrabah. But I would imagine that the Sultan is a very wise and well-educated man, so why would you not look at a prince and be like, oh, what are you the prince of? Are you the prince of the Southern Isles? Are you the prince of Genovia? Where do you come from, sir? It's basically like, how do you know that this isn't some rich person pulling an elaborate con to get their hands on a kingdom? Or was it just that the Sultan didn't care anymore and he just wanted Jasmine out of his quote possession as it would have been at that time and day because back in that day the world would have been so much smaller and they would have had all this geography information about them and all these different kingdoms that I'm sure have been to war or allies at different points in history I'm sure if he would have said oh who are your parents where are you from then the Sultan would have known exactly who this kid was or that he was making stuff up and another issue I have with this is why didn't Genie have anything to say about his title and where he's from in countryside? Because he said, make me a prince. Did he not build him a subsequent castle and give him a, a land and all this other stuff that you would need to be a prince? He knew very well, you know, you need to look like this. You need to have all this stuff. You need to be very impressive. But he didn't think about, oh, I'm the prince of... Seems like that should have been part of the wish. Then I have to wonder about why in the world do the guards seem to work for Jafar in this movie? Now I get, like, the big captain of the guard kind of guy. He seems to hate Aladdin that seems to never change throughout any version of Aladdin that you watch. But it seems to me like if, if somebody who is in charge of peacekeeping, as Jafar says he is, comes up to you and says, Hey, we have a visiting prince in the castle. I want you to kill him you would at least need some explanation. I mean, I get that guards are supposed to follow orders and not question them, but if the Sultan isn't giving these orders and this is something that could potentially start a war, wouldn't you want to clarify with the top guy in charge that this is what he wants done before you do it? 
And I know some people have said that, well, maybe Jafar enchanted the guards with his uh, snake staff like he did the Sultan. But if you look at their eyes when they are beating the crap out of Aladdin, they are not red-eyed or mystified or anything at all. They seem to really be taking pleasure in beating him up. And then I've also wondered, which I guess kind of works into this too, is that towards the beginning of the movie, when the guards first capture Aladdin and take him to the dungeon, Jasmine stands up and reveals herself and says, by order of the princess, you know, you're going to release him right now. And they say, sorry, our orders come from Jafar. Well, since when does the consultant of the king outrank the princess? It seems to me like they don't know their chain of command. They don't understand it, or they're just, you know, ready to mutiny at any given point to begin with. And now once Jafar does get the lamp and he takes over the kingdom, he does this whole song of So Ali turns out to be merely Aladdin. And Jasmine is so shocked and she seems so hurt, but why is she just taking Jafar's word for it? I mean, she herself left the kingdom to go hang out in the marketplace to escape the palace life pressures, which is the same thing that Aladdin basically used as his cover story for why they had met before. And so why is she just assuming like, oh, well, Jafar must be telling me the truth right now. Like, this is totally, totally accurate. I mean, he just moved our castle to the top of a mountainside and he just put my father in little heart boxer shorts, but he's definitely not messing with me here. And I find it really interesting that the endowment of Prince seems to wear off as a wish after Jafar changes Aladdin's clothing. Doesn't seem to take away any titles or belongings, just changed him back into his, what they would call the street rat attire. And so, but why is it that at the end of the movie, he's not still a prince? He doesn't still have that title. That was his wish. Why couldn't Genie just say, oh, well, that was your wish and it got a little bit messed up. So here, you know, back to normal where you were before. And even if Genie couldn't make everything reappear and give him new clothes again, I mean, I still don't see where that took a physical title that he wished for away. Because really the extent of Jafar's damage to that title is saying, no, it's fake, he's actually a pauper. But if it was a, a wish, then it's really debatable as to whether he is really a prince or a faker. And what I really don't get about it is that Genie tells him, use your third wish to be a prince again, but that was already his first wish. So why, it's like if you get an app on your iPhone and you pay for it, and then your iPhone crashes and you get a new iPhone, the app is still saved under your account in the app store. So you get it right back without having to pay for it again. Like how was Genie's wish so inferior that a second rate sorcerer, not even at Genie level at that point, undid it so easily? And even if Aladdin did use his third wish to become a prince again, quote unquote, the verbal damage is already done. So what's Genie going to do? Erase memories so that they think he's a prince again? It's, it's not going to change the fact that he's already been outed for a fraud. So if all the damage from Jafar has been verbal, why does he need to wish again anyways? And the last plot hole I'm going to go over that really kind of always made me crazy ever since I first saw this movie was why couldn't Jasmine rub the lamp? It seems like the end of the movie had this dilemma of you have one wish left, Aladdin, so you can make yourself a prince so you can marry the girl and just forget about our deal together. Okay, but what if, since clearly one person doesn't have to make three wishes before the next person can make three wishes, 
What if he just passed that lamp over to Jasmine? She could make some, you know, wishes, improve her kingdom, do all kinds of great, awesome stuff, and then give Aladdin the lamp back to set the genie free. I mean, you look around Agrabah, especially in the beginning of the film, there seemed to be a good bit of homeless and hungry people there. She could have fed the whole kingdom. She could have put some magic shield over it so that no magical entities could mess with Agrabah again. She could have, you know, wished for eternal harmony for the kingdom. Or she could have even wished Aladdin to be a prince herself or, or wished that her father would repeal that stupid law that he made about only being able to marry a prince. It just seems to me like Disney went with this almost borderline insulting thing towards women where they wanted to wrap up the story really quickly so they went oh well no the girl doesn't need to touch the lamp she's already got her man what else could she possibly want in life and I feel like they really cut her short where she had previously been a lot more fuller and independent of a character. So that's my take on Aladdin. I've got another one here about how the whole film highlights being trapped because basically everybody, everybody's trapped somewhere doing something trying to get out of it. But I'll let you come to my blog and read that yourself if you're interested. Again, that is DisneyFangirl.wordpress.com. And if you would like to leave any agreements in the comments, disagreements, or other plot holes that you noticed that I missed, please feel free to do so. Okay, this one was a lot longer than the first one, so I hope you guys all enjoyed that. Yes, this is current me recording this and not 2016 me that you were listening to just a second ago. Thanks for watching, everybody. I hope this gets some wheels turning in our heads before the live action Aladdin comes out. And as usual, I will love you if you subscribe to this podcast or support the channel on YouTube at The Fangirl Watches or visit me on Instagram at Say Halo Goodbye. S A Y H A L O G O O D B Y E. Other than that, I'll see you next time, family members.